It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight we meet Anne McConnell, founder of Nua Kombucha, nutritional therapist Fawn Clark and Dan Sykes from Springfield Castle has details about the first ever West Limerick Tourism Harvest Festival that starts this Friday and runs until the end of October. But before we hear from our guests tonight, a reminder that you can make contact with me by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can drop me a tweet at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So have you come across the refreshing health beverage that is kombucha? Anne McConnell is the founder of Nua Kombucha, which is based in Northern Ireland. And I caught up with her last week to find out more. So let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Great to meet you and always nice to talk to a fellow Northern Ireland person. Tell us the name of your company and where you're talking to me from today. Sure, uh, likewise, and, and thanks for having me today, Sharon. Um, it's much appreciated. So uh, the name of my company is Nua Kombucha. Um, I took that from the Irish of New Beginnings, uh, to Nua. And I am based in Whitehead in County Antrim. And for people that aren't familiar with kombucha, tell us what it is. So kombucha is quite simply, it is a, uh, it's a sparkling fermented tea. That, that's really what it is in its sort of simplest description. So, you know, taste wise, it, it's a sweet, tiny, uh, tart, effervescent drink. It's quite a healthy drink. Sure, sure it is. Um, Within the kombucha community, you know, there is a lot of there's a lot of debate around, you know, the what makes it healthy. And, um, you know, it is a fairly commercially, it's a fairly new product. Obviously, it's been around for centuries, um, but the products of fermentation certainly are, are healthy. You've got B vitamins, C vitamins um, you have organic acids in there, which are good for gut health. And uh, kombucha is Compared to a conventional soft drink, it would have about a third the amount of sugar. Um, and that's due to the fermentation process um, that uses up the sugars during that pr- process. So from that perspective, it would be viewed, you know, as a, as a quite a healthy um, soft drink. And you said there that it's quite a new concept from a commercial perspective, although it has been around for centuries. Why did you decide to to have this product for a business and is there a number of different variations in the range sure so that the story behind it um it's, it's quite convoluted actually um so i first experienced kombucha when i was living down in, in south africa um that's where i met my husband and my father-in-law had been brewing it for decades and it's something they just would have had on their in their kitchen sitting on the countertop and they would have continuously brewed um rooibos based kombucha um so i i i tasted it in south africa it's not something that really stuck with me at the time um i did enjoy it but um you know it, it was something that was fairly new to me at the time as well 
And then when I moved back to Northern Ireland, that's going on six years now. Um, I arrived back here and um, I, I took a job at Queen's University. I was previously in the chemical industry and uh, it, quite a few changes. I, I had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. So as being a scientist, I did a deep dive and um, researching all the things I could do to improve my health and what I needed to do to manage the disease and halt the disease and overcome the disease. Um, diet was a big part of this. Um, so I follow now a plant-based diet and the fermented foods kept coming up. So as I was doing my research for the purpose of the multiple sclerosis, the fermented foods kept coming up as well. So then I thought, mm, maybe my father-in-law was onto something here. So I thought, I'll just start brewing this for myself. So I started brewing it in the closet here at home and it literally went from there. I was brewing it for myself. People started asking me, um, you know, if they could have some and it, it grew from there. And um, so one day I just decided I, I, I walked into the office and I, and I said, well, I'm, I'm resigning today. Um, I, this, I, I want to try this other thing and I'm just going to go with it. And I think that was a bit of a shock to me and everybody around me. It just sort of came out of my mouth. And once it was out there, it was out there. So, um, and that's that's how it came about really. Um, that So it's a bit of a convoluted story. It wasn't something that just was, you know, oh, I woke up one day, I'm gonna start a kombucha business. It kind of came from that journey and that research and that a lot of self-reflection as well, Sharon, um, during that period after the, the diagnosis. And have you found that having kombucha as part of your diet on a regular basis has helped you with your MS? You know, it, it's not, you know, being a scientist, I'm always evidence-based. I'm always evidence-based. So, you know, it'd be very hard to pinpoint that if I'm being honest. But what I would say is certainly, you know, I, I made a lot of changes at one time. So I went from a conventional diet and certainly having lived in South Africa, I would be needing meat every day to a plant-based diet. And um, I incorporated the fermented foods. Now, since I've done all of that, um, I've gone from, you know, when I was diagnosed, I had three relapses in one year. I didn't know what that was at the time. My mom said it was hormones and to crack on, but we now know that was multiple sclerosis. So I haven't had any new relapses. I would have suffered from fatigue. I didn't know it was fatigue at the time. I just thought it was a period in my life where I was quite tired. Um, and within a few weeks, that's this, the one symptom that really went away quite quickly when I made these changes to plant-based and incorporating fermented foods into my diet. Um, so I would say it's made a difference. Now to pinpoint that down to any one thing, I don't believe that's difficult to do. I think it's, um, you know, it's a cumulative effect of all these changes. Hugely challenging to take on that challenge of starting up a new business whenever you're living with, with MS and being an ex-Queen's employee myself, I mean, I was fairly crying my lumps out that on my last day at Queen's. must have been quite, you know, you must have asked yourself and done a lot of, of soul searching to make that decision. And, and OK, it might be a convoluted story as to how you decided to, to leave and start up the business. But to actually start up the business, there's a lot of work involved in that. Packaging, branding, labelling. The production side of it like you started at home there in the closet i presume you're not doing it in the closet anymore no no i'm not in the closet anymore but i'm not far off <laughs> from the closet so it's still quite small scale um i do 200 liters a month and um 
you know, so it's small and my background is commodities. So, you know, it is it is tiny. But, you know, with that, you have a lot of flexibility and, you know, I can still be really innovative at this scale. You know, if I want to do a new flavor next week, I can do a new flavor next week so I can listen to the customers, see what they want. So you've still got a lot of room to, um, you know, to, to sort of express yourself with that and the innovation, which is nice. Um, the decision to leave Queen's, yes, it was difficult and it was scary at the time. And I still remember, you know, when I was sitting in front of my boss and it just came out of my mouth. And I think it was just every bone in my body. I was tingling, you know, and that's one advantage for, for me, how I've experienced the MS. Your body, you listen to your body not a lot more and it tells you when things are not right. And I said, you know, I'm sorry when I'm handing my resignation in. And, you know, at the time my boss said, let's think about it you know that no 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 not so fast let's just think about it and and they did offer me six months off as well at the time they said you know you're probably processing a lot as well and but I just knew you know when you know in your gut and I said look I'm, I'm sorry I don't want to waste your time um you know and I, I, it's just not a fit and I feel like there's something over here I want to scratch at there's something I want to explore and unless I give it my full attention it's not going to reach its potential and they were very supportive of that and they under I think they understood that and I think they realized that was probably part of my healing journey um so to this day we're, we're still in touch and you know we we you know we still I get a lot of advice and support from them so so it was good it was a positive experience and I think you know it was coming from a place of understanding on, on both sides as well you mentioned there about making different flavors so is there a base flavor that then you add to because I know in this year's Blossnaren Awards you had a, a slamish beetroot flavor in the finals yeah sure so the um so so kombuchas traditionally we you know the base the first fermentation will be using a tea traditionally that would be you know black teas green teas white teas uh, I went with the rooibos because that's what I knew that's what I experienced in South Africa it was also bringing a little bit of South Africa back with me as well. Um, so that's what I use as my base. So my base will be the, that, that's what you get the nice, um, the listeners can't see this, but the lovely amber color in the brew that comes from the rooibos plant itself, which grows in the Western Cape in South Africa. Um, then I do a secondary fermentation and that's where I add the locally based flavors. So that product that you mentioned that got through to the finals in Blast and Ernan, that's using organic beetroot from uh, my lovely stockists, Frank and Linda in Slemish Market Garden in Ballymena. Um, and that really came about from, you know, I go up every Friday to do my deliveries. And when I'm there, I'm buying my fruit and veg and you just look around and you see what's sitting on the shelves and what's what's local. And um, I just thought, mm, okay, I'll give that a go. And actually the inspiration also came from um, Chef Rob Curley, who at one of his supper clubs paired it and um, the kombucha with he did like a beetroot tatar. Now that was a couple of years ago. So I think that's where the first sort of thought of it, he put the seed into my mind. Um, and then I tried it just in, in the drink. Probably it was it was quite a few months after that. And it surprisingly worked. You know, at the time I didn't expect it to work because I think in my head I thought, is this just going to taste like a vegetable? I'm not sure. You know, I wasn't sure how it would turn out, but it was surprising. So, um, I, I, and the customers love it. Your customers will tell you; they'll guide you. You know, if they don't like it, they won't buy it. So, um, so that was a nice surprise. It's a beautiful, beautiful red product. It's lovely. And how did you find your customers at the start? 
Um, so again, initially that was purely chance. So when I was brewing at home, um, I'm going through this period of reflection. I, I was also doing some stuff around the house and renovating and all sorts of things that I'd never got time to do. And I'd bought some furniture off a local based company called Betty's Lounge, um, who's a husband and wife team. Really cool, really very cool people and um, love them to bits. They, they, I bought some furniture and they came around and I, I offered them a drink and they said, no, you're all right, thanks. And I said, it's kombucha. And they went, you do kombucha? Yeah, yeah. So I got this out of the closet and they drank it and they're like, oh, this is really good. We drink this in California all the time. And, you know, can we buy some of this every week? And I said, no, no, just take it. It's fine. So um, that's kind of where it started that point going in a commercial direction because they put an order in um, and, you know, it sort of grew from there. So I had this picture of Betty and, and John in my head. I thought, oh, these people are maybe my customers. So that was the first customers formal customers that I found um, so that was an easy one that was just an organic find um, the next step was probably more difficult step when I started to you know buy bigger tanks and thought okay now I need to start shifting some of this so um, I had to put my big girl trousers on and go out and find some other customers which I find difficult that that's not a natural thing for me to go into shops and go hi my name's Anne would you like to buy my kombucha so I did struggle with that initially but um, it, it's 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 a skill I've learned I think and you know in the last year or two and it gets easier and it gets easier as you, you know, you get more confident and you see the feedback and it grows and you get the positive feedback. So I think that's something that's getting a lot easier. Um, and the customers it just grows organically, really. You know, what I've, I've got a few very good stockists and it seems to just grow out from there. Um, and, so, one, and one of those stockists is Slemish Market Garden, isn't it? Yeah, they're, Flemish is, is, is Frank and Linda have really been the anchor of the product. They've really got behind it. And, um, you know, from, from, from the day one when I went in, you know, we just, we started having a conversation. Actually, I was in there stored because I was wanting to buy, the, you know, my plants and, and, you know, all the whole food. And we just started having a conversation and it came out that I was doing this. And from the get go, Frank said, that is a product that our customers would like. Would you like to sell it here? So I said, of course, yes, I'd love to sell it here. And it went from there. So I find finding the customers for me, a lot of it's been off the back of those sort of organic natural discussions where there's been that fit. You know, it's it's been about plant-based health. And so that that's kind of how it's grown sort of naturally. Um, Your father-in-law must be hugely impressed and very proud <laughs> of what you've done and, and maybe trying to get some of the royalties off you as well. <laughs> you know, Sharon, you took the words out of my mind because that, you know, they Skype us from South Africa every Sunday and it comes up in conversation as he sees the business growing. He likes to remind me, he says, you know, um, and now that South Africa's off the red list, I think he's going to be up here, for, here fairly soon. He wants to help. He wants royalties. So, you know, I just I remind him that, yes, you know, I have, I've, you know, we've progressed the product since then. So we'll have a discussion. But <laughs> yeah, no, he's very proud. And um, I think he'd love to be here, actually. He'd, he'd love to get involved. So I might have to rein him in um, when he when he comes up. <laughs> yeah, it's a brilliant story. So it is, a, you know, your father in law inspiring you to do something like that. 
And in terms of the future and your vision for the business, what are the next steps for you? Sure. Um, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a difficult one. That really is. Um, you know, when you do, you do sit here and, and you try and visualize where you want to be. And, um, you know, particularly over the last few years, you know, I take, you take each month as it comes really. But, you know, if I had a vision, you know, and a girl can dream, that's, that's what we've got to do. Um, you know, I would love to have a microbrewery. I'd love to have something, you know, bigger than the scale I have now, you know, working with a few people, still innovating, coming up with new flavors, really tapping into what's local. You know, I have longer term views about maybe how, you know, different brews that I could use in different base um, material, raw materials. So yeah, if, if, if I had a dream, that would be it. It would be a microbrewery somewhere here on the North Coast. I'd love it to be somewhere where people could come and visit and yeah, that would be my dream. You know, you've got a dream. You come this way once. Well, it sounds <laughs> like a very achievable dream to me. And so we will be watching closely to see how you get on. And I'll certainly be up to visit you whenever you have that visitor centre open. Lovely to talk to you today. Congratulations on your success to date. And for anybody that wants to find out more about Nua Kombucha, where's the best place to direct them? Sure. Thank you, Sharon. That would be my website. So it's worldwideweb.newcombucha.com or social media. Fantastic. And great to meet you today and mind yourself. Thank you very much. And thanks for your time. It's been lovely meeting with you, Sharon. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard from founder of Nua Kombucha in Northern Ireland, Anne McConnell. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come on the programme this evening, we're going to hear all about the first ever West Limerick Tourism Harvest Festival when we talk to Dan Sykes from Springfield Castle near Drumcolliher in West Limerick. And that festival starts this Friday and runs until the end of October. So do have your diary ready to note all of the fantastic events taking place. Next, though, we're going to talk to nutritional therapist Fawn Clark, who has a very personal story of courage and strength to share. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Fawn, it's lovely to meet you, and I think you have a very interesting and inspirational story that you're going to share with the listeners, and it's all to do with eating and eating healthily your own personal background you've had you've had your struggles with food so will you just tell us a bit about your story please yeah I was just chuckling to myself there as he's talked about eating healthily because that's not what I did for a long term time I knew I knew what it was to eat healthily because I'd grown up grown up in a family that cooked always we had our own garden I was surrounded by really good food um but I got into the habit of eating um too much sugar and um over time I kept repeating the habit and over time I got to a place where I couldn't stop eating processed food and sugar for me it was really sort of sugary fatty foods and um 
for whatever reason, I don't know why, genetic predisposition or whatever, I became really um, addicted to food and um, and it affected every area of my life. Um, I couldn't really concentrate on work. I did manage to get through a degree and I managed to have relationships, but they were never, they never lasted because food was really there always in the background. Um, my go-to distracting me from doing what needed to be done at any moment. Um, so um, it went on for 10 years, so I could talk for hours about what went on. But um, eventually I got to a place where I couldn't carry on eating the way I was eating. Um, you know, I'd be the sort of person who would be um, trying to get away. To, you know, if a craving came over me, I would be doing whatever I had to do to get away from people so that I could feed that craving. And I'd drive around from garage to garage eating chocolate bar after chocolate bar. Um, I wouldn't buy too much in any one garage in case somebody thought I was greedy. And... Um, so you know, so that was the, the 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 addiction really drove me to do these sort of things, and um, my life just became completely unmanageable. And I eventually sought help, which was through a, an addiction treatment centre, and um, went to twelve step programs for food. And um, it, you know, it was a journey, but it, it, I got I got to a place where I found freedom around food. And so now, <clears throat> I I actually qualified way back in two thousand seven. As a nutritional therapist, but it's only now that I feel like I'm at a place where I really want to help people, and I want to help people who are like who are like me. And I just want to say that everyone really like we live in such an unusual time in, as regards food. It's everywhere, and it's also, you know, there's a lot of money invested in making it hyper palatable, and you know, just to 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 hit that um, bliss point in our brain. So. <clears throat> everyone struggles to some degree with food and overeating and having to put limits on how much they eat. Um, so, and, and, but, but then a line is crossed when someone gets to a place where it really is a problem in their lives, you know, and that's different for everybody. So, you know, um, it's a continuum. It's a bit like mobile phones or, you know, we, we probably all use them a little bit too much, but we have to figure out a way to live with them. So that's a bit like food. Okay, we can't put down food altogether. We have to learn how to live with it. Can I ask you, what age are we talking about here when the problem started until you realised, well, maybe not realised that you needed help, but until you actually went and asked for that help and sought the help? I suppose I started under-eating, really, and that's quite important because that can be a trigger for overeating at about 15, 16. But then the sort of binge eating came in very infrequently in my late teenage years but when I went to um, university in Dublin at about the age of 19 and I was in a new environment um, out of my comfort zone feeling very insecure that's when it really took off so and then I, I, I got into treatment at about the age of 28 29 so those 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 um, th th that 10 years and then it took me about three years after I went to treatment center those years were much better but to get to a place of really being solid and free um, so I suppose around 30, early 30s is when I finally put it down and I'm 40, got a 44 now. So um, that's that's the sort of trajectory. And if somebody's listening and they can relate to your story and what you went through, but they just don't know where to go to get the help or how to ask for help, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, it, it, that that's a hard one um, because it's hard to know where to go. 
go and get help. And also it's quite shaming and a lot of people don't want to, you know, don't know who to go to. They don't want to go to some, they want to go to somebody who'll understand. I see people, um, but there's also, um, um, and my, I can give you my website details at the end, but there's also community groups like Overeaters Anonymous or Food Addicts Anonymous. Um, they're based on 12 step principles um, that are good places to go. A lot of people don't want to go down those routes. So that, that's where I, I, I fit in for people who don't want to go to 12-step programs or go into treatment centers. My experience has been that not a lot of dietitians, for no fault of their own, understand this problem. There's a debate as to whether food is addictive or not. A lot of people think that it's more to do with our emotions and stuff like that. But I believe that we need to address the physical problem of, you know, when we eat sugar, there's a dopamine reaction in the same way that there's a dopamine reaction when we have drugs or alcohol. It mightn't be to the same degree. But you can't get well. Say, for example, you're, you, you, you're a smoker and you're smoking to alleviate anxiety. Well, no matter how much you focus on the anxiety, it's never going to get over the problem that you're addicted to nicotine. And it's a little bit the same with sugar. You have to first put down the sugar. And that's how I work with people. You need to put down the substance. And then over time, you'll deal with the anxiety that's behind the substance. And, you know, depending on how bad you are, you, we can retrain our brains to be able to um, enjoy food. It's not like I'm saying you have to, you know, you have to stay off sugar forever, but get to a place where um, you are more in balance around um, your food choices, got to a place of equilibrium, and then you can start pushing your boundaries and seeing how, how where your boundaries are around sugar. So it's not all or nothing, because I understand a lot of people, you know, there's terror at the thought of of giving it up altogether. And OK, to retrain the brain, it might sound very simple, but it's like everything. If you if you are a smoker to give up the cigarettes there, you need that willpower there and you need that self-belief in yourself that you can do it, which can be quite challenging at times. Oh, absolutely. Because, and you know, the thing about Willpower, willpower is an interesting one because willpower actually won't get you go get won't get you through. Like I don't know how many resolutions I made never to eat certain things again, and it would last maybe for you know an hour a day a week maybe, and then I'd find myself eating again. So willpower won't last. It's like it's like a a battery that runs out of energy, and it's drained by making decisions and trying to um, resist temptation and all that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's getting to a place where we're, um, we have surrendered to the fact that um, once we start, we can't stop. That there's, admi- there's this admission internally that food doesn't work for us. And, and that is the hard place to get to, you know, um, and everyone, everyone's tolerance is different. So some people who, who I think maybe aren't quite there yet are definitely there. And other people who I think are way beyond that point and should be there aren't there. So it's a very individual thing. But absolutely, because what you're really doing is, um, you know, the, the reward, I, I don't want to get too technical, but the reward and the pleasure and the reward centers in our brain um, are in a sort of a, a balance. It, it, it's governed from the same parts of our brain, okay? So when you get a little bit of, so when you eat, uh, say a slice of cake, you get a little bit of dopamine, which is on the reward side. So the reward, so we tip a little bit to the reward side, but the brain wants to keep balance. It wants to keep everything level. So um, the balance then swings the other way 
in an equal and opposite amount. So you're always going to get after every bit of pleasure, you're going to get a tiny bit of pain. When you get into that pain area, that's when you want another slice of cake. Okay, so when you're down here, when you want the pain, when you want when the pain is when the the, the balance is tipped slightly to more more towards pain, that's when you when you want another slice or you want a little bit more. So the challenge is is to get to this place of 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 homeostasis where you're level. Now the problem with people who have a long established pattern of using sugar or food is that their their balance gets gets stuck in 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 a in a space where it's more tilted towards pain than pleasure. And just to feel normal, they need to have, they need to eat cake. So they're not even getting a high off it after a while. They just need it to just feel normal. Okay. And when they don't have it, when you, when you speak about stopping and the withdrawals and what's really going on is your brain is readjusting to normal levels of dopamine. And that's where the pain is. But eventually if you don't feed, feed the compulsion or the want the brain comes back to an equilibrium and at that point then you can start enjoying other things in life and you know there's life beyond food and the next mouthful and the next bite so so that's what the challenge is it's it's as our brain and our brains are 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 plastic they will change but the pain is going through that readjustment where we're not seeking out that that dopamine to make us feel right because the problem is that we get into the seesaw we want um you know, we have a little bit and then we get the withdrawal effect and we want a little bit more and then we get the withdrawal effect and then we want a little bit more. So it's getting out that seesaw, that cycle of pleasure and pain. And that's the, and the ultimate, ultimately, when you get to a place of equilibrium, you feel enough, there's a huge sense of freedom. Everyone I work with says, oh my God, I feel so free. I'm sleeping better. I'm not thinking about food. You know, I, I, you know, I just love the freedom that it gives me because we're freed from this, um, you know, very um, rudimentary um, lizard part of our brain that's that's governing our behaviours. I think anybody listening who has been a smoker and has given up smoking can really relate to a lot of the, the things you're saying there. But obviously you're talking about food and the other thing you said about it being everywhere and that it's made now to be very palatable. So the processed food and everything, and food has never been more accessible than it is now. It's so much cheaper, those sweets and treats, where you buy so many bars for a euro, compared to whenever I was growing up, getting that bar maybe once a week was such a huge treat because it was expensive. How much would you blame the industry, the food industry maybe are responsible to a certain extent, for creating these food issues amongst various different people. Uh, yeah, I think the fact that it's everywhere is a real issue. It's, it's hard to put the blame because I don't think it was done intentionally. Okay, and then this has been a progression since the industrialization of food and since food has become a commodity. You know, and it's and it's. I just think it's increasing exponentially. Like you said, like when I was young, it wasn't as available as it is now. Like I just look at the cereal section in the supermarkets, you know, and I see cereals called Crave and I think, God, what hope do we have? So, so, um, you know, a, a business is their, their, their purpose is to sell their product. Okay. So they're going to make it as tasty as they possibly can. And so they're going to, they've got, you know, these big companies have got labs where they've got people um working to make the exactly the right texture the right level of fat 
the right level of sugar, the right level of salt, um, to, to make us hooked so that we buy more and more and more. Um, um, and I think that it's going to be like the cigarette industry where eventually like the, 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 the um, obesity figures are becoming, you know, are going to become, they are a problem and they're going to become more and more a problem. Not only that, but diabetes and all the, the, the consequential health implications. So I think that it's going to become, I, I think the food industry is going to have to be reined in or because it's not, it's not, um, it's a bit like having, you know, when the cigarettes were there available to us all the time or when they were advertised to us, we sort of didn't stand a chance. We, we, we were we were up against it. You know, we didn't understand, you know, well, some people did, but, you know, the, these food industries knew that our biology was going against us and that we are wired to seek um, a pleasure from food. We're, we're wired to seek sugar. We're wired to seek calories because there was a time where that was our, our very survival depended on it. Whereas now that's a liability, you know, and there was a time where if you put on weight easily, that would get you through the lean periods and, you know, it would help your survival. Whereas now it goes against you, you know. So I think that ultimately the food industry and especially marketing towards children, you know, um, is is going to have to be something's going to have to be done about it because it's not going to get any it, it, the, the food industry is not going to rein itself in. It's not going to itself try and um curb um the, the palatability of of its foods it just you know and in terms then of education that's hugely important and you're a bali malu trained chef so in your clinics then not only can you advise on nutrition but you can advise on lovely dishes and what to eat and how to put them together you know i i grew up at bali malu and um cooking and food has been just such a huge part of my upbringing and the importance of food and nutrition despite where where I ended up it still is a really important part and a lot of people who come to me just don't know how to put delicious food together you know when I'm you know and I'm not talking about making it you know I'm just talking about simple whole ingredients and making them taste delicious a big part of the problem with the food industry is that our our tastes for real food gets affected by the amount of processed food we eat so you know if we're eating loads of really hyper processed foods broccoli doesn't taste that delicious or any vegetable for that matter in fact fruit to me used to taste bitter after i'd eaten loads of chocolate so once we get calibrated recalibrated again and our and our our pleasure center gets restored to some somewhere near normal we start to get a real taste for just simple plain whole foods and so i teach people how to put them together you know for me it's like second nature um you know to make but i understand that a lot of people haven't had the exposure to cooking that i've had so absolutely i i help people with just basic cooking skills and do a few cooking classes and that sort of thing a lot of it has been over zoom but hopefully we'll do more live things down the road well we really appreciate you coming on today to share your your story and your journey with us and if anybody wants to find out more about you and the services that you offer where's the best place for them to go to um I, they can go to my website which is www.fawnclark.com or else on instagram which is fawnclark_nutrition and um they can they can find my contact details and whatnot there fantastic well listen all the best fawn and mind yourself Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. 
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, we were talking to nutritional therapist Fawn Clark, who bravely shared her personal struggle with food. And I thank Fawn again for being so honest and open in her quest to help others. And earlier on in the programme, we heard from founder of Nua Kombucha in Northern Ireland, Anne McConnell. But if you are just tuning in now and you've missed any of that, you might want to catch up on the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are also available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, I linked in with our final guest yesterday morning. Dan Sykes is part of the family who runs the majestic Springfield Castle outside Drumcolliher in West Limerick. Dan is one of the participants taking part in the West Limerick Food Series this year, and that's a comprehensive networking and training programme that started in February. The initiative is designed to inspire and develop the food sector and food tourism industry by fostering collaborations between businesses in the region, and it's being delivered by the Discovery Partnership on behalf of West Limerick Resources, who secured funding under the Leader Food Initiative delivered by the Department of Rural and Community Development and the Department of Agriculture to further develop the food sector and food tourism industry in the area. So with all of that in mind, one of the outputs is the first ever West Limerick Tourism Harvest Festival and it starts this Friday and runs until the end of October. So let's get all the details from Dan. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Dan, great to talk to you. How are things out at Springfield at the moment? Hi Sharon, well thanks for having me on firstly. Uh, things in Springfield are great at the moment. We're just gearing up for this weekend. We have a fantastic event on Saturday night as part of the West Limerick Food Series for the West Limerick um, Harvest Festival. We're running a three-course, nine-dish tasting menu. Uh, it's only vegetarian food, but that should not put anyone off. It's actually going to be very delicious. We've been working on it for a few weeks now, myself, Lizzie O'Connell and Steph Sheehan. We've done an event like this before uh, where we did more Asian-style cooking, but this time we're focusing on kind of the Middle East, Ottolenghi and people, those kind of flavours. Uh, it's harvest time as well, so we've got lots of fresh vegetables to use, and we're really going to be pushing a wide variety of flavours, uh, you know, on Saturday night. So we're really looking forward to it. And tell me about the ingredients then, where you're sourcing them from, because I know you do grow a lot of produce yourself there at Springfield. Yeah, well, anything as much as we can, obviously, from our garden, we obviously use that. Uh, and then anything else, we try and so source it as locally as possible. Do you know, from other growers around the area, sometimes we buy stuff from the Organic College in Drumcolliher. And obviously, the spices and stuff like that that we'll be using for the Middle East, the dishes won't be locally sourced. <laughs> but uh, we will be getting as many of the main core ingredients as fresh. Uh, one of the things I can give you a little bit of a, a sneak preview, the dish at one of my mains that I'm cooking for the night is actually um, West Limerick mi milk paneer that's wrapped in spinach, aubergine and cooked in a red dal curry. You better explain what paneer is for the... Oh, sorry. It's a um, milk that's boiled down into kind of a hard cheese. It's um, generally uh, would, come, would be quite popular in India and stuff like that. But it's basically like a kind of a cheesy thing. But we're using West Limerick milk. We're hoping to get it from the Reedy's 
cheese down the road from us and it's going to be raw and processed milk that's then turned into paneer um, just to try and use as much local stuff and highlight you know like those guys are really part of the food series but they're doing really cool things in the area so we want to try and showcase as much stuff as possible during it and the food series is very much about those that are involved in it working together and collaborating together to host events or to go on field trips but obviously it is open to everybody in West Limerick I think it's important yeah. to say that I think yeah that's it if you are a producer make sure you get in contact with maybe someone in the group or reach out to West Limerick resources and really I suppose if you're a producer as well as get in contact with some of us <laughs> you know and try and come and see you know we, we're always looking for local products over anything else you know um, and I think most people are so if you've got a product like let us know and you know send us an email or something like that we'll try and use it as much as possible because i think sometimes whenever programs like this have are up and running people think it's a closed shop at that stage but that is that is definitely not the key no 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 it's actually just getting going now and i don't think it ever will be a closed shop like the more producers local producers would like to get on board the better on Friday night, Brian McDermott from Donegal, who's always been a great supporter of West Limerick, he's going to be down in D&M Garden Centre. Yes. And then you have your event on Saturday night, and then the Dunraven have an event at Chris Starr. The chef there is working with Tom Sparling, another yeah. West Limerick chef, and Teresa Story, who's a forager. They're hosting another great dinner. And then the following weekend, there's lots of family fun activities between the Woodlands Hotel in Adair and up at Platform 22 and the Limerick Greenway. So it's fantastic to see that the group has come together to produce this programme of events for the region, which can be quite challenging given that you all have your own businesses to run day to day. And, you know, we're all busy, but you recognise that it is fantastic to work together. It's better to collaborate together and together you are stronger. Yeah, 100%. I'd always agree with that. The collective is much stronger than the individual. Than the individual. I want to hear more now, Dan, about Springfield and the green room at Springfield because obviously we're, we are hopefully coming out of the really challenging side of COVID now. But last year you had to pivot because you, you didn't have your international visitors coming to stay in the castle. You weren't able to open the green room on the Saturday to have people come in and, and wine and dine as they normally would. But you did, you did a fantastic takeaway service there. So just tell us about that and some of the other initiatives that you did last year in order to basically keep going. To keep going, yeah. Well, at the beginning, we decided to do the takeaway a week or two, I think, into the lockdown. I think we, we had to convince, I suppose, people in our family that it would be safe to, because at the beginning of COVID, we were all, no one knew what was happening. We were quite, uh, everyone was very scared and, you know, quite rightly so but we then decided to come up with a safe way of delivering the food so we have the courtyard and people are able to drive in drive around and we would then take them the food to the boot of their car and pick an envelope up so we were trying to do it as safely as possible but the takeaway really actually got quite popular for a while so we were doing things on saturday like um curries or you know kind of comfort foods or stroganoffs and stuff like that um, and then basically the model did keep changing for us, which is kind of challenging, but also a good thing because it shows you that you're not really stuck in a rut <laughs> and you can't be <laughs> in times like that. You have to move. Uh, we also started doing Friday night takeaways where we would do kind of takes on fast food, but we would use really good ingredients to do them. And we were making kind of, you know, um, things like uh, spicy chicken wings with our own chili sauce from our own chilies from the garden. We were doing chicken breast sandwiches and trying to do really good quality fast food. Um, we also started doing mobile pizza services as well. We've gone to a few fairs, <laughs> got sunburned quite a few times in the sun over the summer setting pizzas and stuff. So it's, it's, it's been changing, but it's been great. The challenge has been good. But now we're able to do events again in the green room. We're kind of looking forward to using that space because I suppose that's the 
inspiration behind a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, and it's nice being able to keep going at some points, you know, with takeaway and things like that and has developed some other business ideas for us. Like we, we joined, uh, we're rejoining now neighbor food just for the, this winter season. It's just over the summer, things were a bit busy and we're hoping to have products on sale. We've actually developed our own, a friend of mine helped us build a website. It's on thegreenroomspringfield.com and you can go on there and buy our products from us or order them from us or chili sauces or salad dressings, granola, and then tickets for our events as well. So it means you don't have to go through a third party seller anymore if you want to buy a ticket from us. Fantastic. So, I mean, like everybody, you have been busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine that doing the takeaway and people coming up to, to collect that has been a great way to raise awareness about what you do at Springfield because, you know, you've, you've the two sections to the castle there, which would be mainly international visitors coming and staying in it for a week or two weeks, larger yeah. groups. But that that public side, um, that you know, the, this the the green room would have been open to the general public then on the odd Saturday. So it it was great to maybe meet some more people and and, and increase awareness of it and what yeah. you do. Yeah, exactly, 100%. It was great. We got really good support, so I'd like to extend my thanks from Springfield and everyone there to the support we've got from the community and people travelling as much as they could. I mean, it's hard sometimes. You can't travel more than five miles or whatever. But you notice then when the the restrictions change you'd see new faces coming and stuff so it was a really big so just a big thanks to everyone who did support us during that time it was great and it was it was to, it was good to do it even though it was hard work because it gave a sense of purpose during kind of challenging times and you took advantage of the lovely outdoor space that you have there by doing walks and talks and picnics yeah. and things like that yeah 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 so we're hoping to kind of i suppose what we've learned during this time we're going to reapply those lessons and moving forward change our model a little bit so we've decided to not do the cafe as a saturday thing anymore but we're hoping to do more events just pre-book events at it and stuff like that it's quite difficult where we are we don't really have a large footfall i'd say we're a little bit out of the way and sometimes it's difficult to predict how many people will come on a saturday but the great thing with the events is you can kind of style them theme them and there's less wastage you know we're really all about that as well so for us it's a great model to use we're looking forward to kind of designing events just you know people we use the space a lot people we've been doing a lot of christings communions recently we do weddings so any type of event people want to do there it's a very nice room to relax in it kind of lends itself to a long evening of or day of just relaxing and taking time and you know it's not like for just grabbing a quick bite i think the room itself kind of and it's looking over the garden where we grow the food as well so we're really looking forward to be able to sharing that with people again a fabulous lovely site and a great place to go to whenever you do have those events so for anybody that wants to go to any of the west limerick food events that are on this weekend if they go to instagram or twitter the link to the the whole brochure is there but in terms of your event this Saturday. Just remind us again of your, your new web address, Dan. So it's the greenroomspringfield.com. It's like an online shop. We also have an event section there and a news section. So anytime we're doing anything new, we might pop up the odd video and stuff from there as well. So it's going to be an interface for people to be able to interact with us um, and you can order food. We were actually doing a thing with Sunnis Health Foods in Newcastle West sometimes. I think we do food. We sometimes do our pizza kits or our heat at home meals and you can collect them on a Friday from Sunnis. So big shout out to Rosemary there for supporting us as well um, and also you can actually order products from us that could be collected on the Saturday and if someone is coming farther afield like I think we're looking at doing postage of our chilli sauce and some of those bits and pieces but it, it can all be got there on the actual site yeah um, we're actually very pleased this year to be part of Pigtown as well so um, we're very very happy about it uh, we're doing it on Halloween night so it's extra spooky <laughs> so we're doing actually Mexican tacos we are going to do West Limerick 
pork, which is very slowly cooked and marinated for a few days in a classic carnita style. We also have vegetarian options as well. So uh, the the you can get tickets for that on the site as well. And we're going to also have Jack Brawley from Phelan Agrena and Lower Your Expectations in Limerick, who's a fantastic DJ. So a lot of my friends say it's like, if that guy recommends an album, you just buy it. So he's going to be playing music on the night as well. So it should be a good the Halloween night. is going to be a little bit of a party, casual food, uh, drinks. We're doing nettle cordial, all that stuff. So we're looking forward to that one as well. Because music is very much one of your core passions, isn't it, Dan? It is actually, yeah. So before I was, um, before I was kind of really doing what I'm doing in Springfield, I, and I still do, I'm kind of involved in music in a small way, kind of running gigs and stuff like that. And a lot of my friends would be very into music and stuff, just enjoy music. So it is kind of a part of the green room, yes. But like, at the moment, we're trying to get some uh, different people to curate a Spotify playlist for us so we can have different playlists from different people and stuff. So I think food and music and art, they're all very similar. And I think they're, things taste better with music, if that makes sense. They definitely go hand in hand, for sure, yeah. because it is all about the experience, isn't it? And yes, all this. Yes the different senses so from what you see to what you taste and then what you what you hear as well so I think absolutely so it's great that you're getting to combine all those different passions together yeah yeah 100% it's good it's a fun experience well done on all the the initiatives that you have going at the moment and you're juggling a lot of balls there and I really appreciate you taking the time to tell me all about it. And hopefully we'll see everybody over the next uh, two weekends at the various events around West Limerick. If everyone could at least uh, try and get out over the next two weekends and go and just see what's happening. Like I said, the second uh, the second week is um, the second weekend is more family events. So I think it's been really well programmed in terms of you've got the grass store weekend and the more event orientated weekend, and people can kind of dip in and out over the two weekends. So I'm looking forward to trying to hopefully, fingers crossed, get to some of the events. I'm really looking forward, actually, to the West Limerick Cocktail Night in the uh, Ashford Tavern, actually, because it's only up the road for me. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. And and yeah. again, it's great to see those new participants and different types yeah. of events that might not be as obvious to... Yes, and in spaces that aren't as obvious, you know. So that's the great thing, because it is all part of West Limerick, so you have to showcase all of it. Absolutely. Thank you, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. again to Dan for giving us an update from Springfield Castle and for sharing details about the first ever West Limerick Tourism Harvest Festival that starts this Friday and runs until October the 31st. Check out West Limerick Food on Instagram and Twitter and you will find the link to all of the event details there. And that's all we have time for tonight. Thank you for listening and to my guests Anne McConnell, Fawn Clark and Dan Sykes. And until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.